the reproduction of Christ for the corporate expression of the triune God as seen in the book of Revelation. So I'd like to present this first by sharing substantially on how the Lord reproduces himself as and in the overcomers. And we'll see what may be, for almost all of us, a marvelous connection between the recovered church, Philadelphia, and the consummation of God's New Testament economy. After that, we'll go through the outline with its particular emphasis. And then I'll present a concluding word. And I believe by the end, we'll all be freshly convinced and assured God really wants to get married. And at the heart of his economy is the love in the divine romance. It is a fact that throughout the New Testament age, the enemy of God opposes as much as he can, frustrates as much as possible. So at the very end, although the local churches continue to exist, the Lord knows everything rests on the overcomers. That is why when the Lord is speaking to the messengers of the churches, he ends each epistle with a word concerning the overcomers. The overcomers in their victory represent the whole church and although the church has failed generally the victory gained by the overcomers because it represents the church enables the Lord to consider the church age successfully completed. In varying degrees, we have heard about overcomers, and to various extents, we have been exercised about this, maybe in the early years with enthusiasm, maybe at other times grappling with real questions of whether we'll be among them. So I have an encouraging word to present to you regarding this. And it's in the nature, once again, of our becoming the reproduction of Christ. Two verses 
as the basis of this part of our fellowship. In Revelation 3.21, the Lord says this, He who overcomes, to him I will give to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame. I overcame. And sat with my father on his throne. This verse makes it very clear that the overcomer is the Lord Jesus himself. In his ministry, in the stage of intensification, one of the main things he is doing is producing overcomers by reproducing himself as the overcomer in all those who really want to be an overcomer. This thought about Christ's overcoming is strengthened by Revelation 5, 5. When the apostle was weeping, things are pretty sad when the apostles themselves can do nothing but cry. So here is John weeping because no one can open the scroll. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. So let's not begin with our hopes, our dream, our longing, our wish to be overcomers. Let's begin with the overcomer. The Lord Jesus, as the Son of Man, as the God-Man, overcame. And he overcame, and this is crucial, in two basic ways. One is to defeat the enemy and to overcome any hindrance to God's purpose. So that's the overcoming on the negative side. Being victorious over the things designed by the enemy to hinder God's purpose. On the positive side, he overcame by carrying out and consummating God's will and good pleasure. Our understanding of what an overcomer is and does, and we'll see this especially shortly when we come to Philadelphia, our understanding needs to be enlarged. Overcomers not only defeat the negative things. What about God's purpose, his will, his heart's desire, 
his economy. Overcomers carry that out. They consummate it. Now the Lord, in the book of Revelation, is in the third stage of his full ministry. The stage of intensification. Nothing can withstand Christ in the stage of intensification. Nothing. No matter how much degradation there is, the Lord responds economically by intensifying himself as the all-inclusive life-giving spirit to be the sevenfold intensified spirit. And when the Lord is ministering in the stage of intensification, he can accomplish very much in exceedingly limited time. The second stage of the Lord's ministry is what we call inclusion. Because in his resurrection, the Spirit of God became the inclusive, the all-inclusive Spirit. So Christ as the life-giving Spirit is all-inclusive. Everything needed to carry out God's purpose is supplied by this Spirit. But when degradation or attacks of the enemy pose a serious threat, the Lord intensifies this all-inclusive spirit. What we need to see is that the intensified spirit, the sevenfold spirit, is not simply lamps burning and seven flaming eyes looking at you and infusing you. Intensification means everything in the all-inclusive spirit has been intensified sevenfold. The spirit is the spirit of grace. Now there is sevenfold grace. The Spirit is the Spirit of life. Now there is sevenfold intensified life. Christ as the sevenfold intensified Spirit, on His side, is able to make any seeking believer an overcomer. If we respond to the chorus in the hymn on overcoming, will you be an overcomer? Will you make this choice? And one line says, we don't know how, but we make the choice. 
Lord, I choose to be an overcomer. I realize I cannot make myself a victor. But I choose for you to produce me as one of these victorious ones. I now ask you specifically, Lord, by yourself as the sevenfold intensified spirit, make me an overcomer to conquer the degradation of the church, to build up the body of Christ, and to consummate the new Jerusalem. The Lord is calling for overcomers. Will he not attend to a prayer from a sister or brother of any age or any present spiritual condition? And that prayer is, <clears throat> Lord, for the sake of your body, even more for your bride, produce me as an overcomer. What do you think he's going to say? You think he's going to say, no, I want you to be defeated. <laughs> Who is praying like this? And it may not have occurred to us. It's not a fault. It's just a fact. Instead of fretting and worrying, will we or will we not? I, I hope. Why don't we get serious and ask the Lord to do this in us? Amen. Then the same principle of his reproducing himself, applies here. He said, you will overcome as I overcame. As the lion of the tribe of Judah, he defeated the enemy. As overcomers produced by him, we also will engage the enemy directly based upon the victory of the overcoming Christ and we will defeat him. Amen. That's what overcomers do. And in the book of Revelation, which in many respects is really a book on overcomers, we eventually see the overcomers as a corporate entity. In chapter 12, the man-child. That's not only the Lord Jesus himself. That is the Lord Jesus as the man-child reproduced and all the overcomer choose to bees, not wannabes. Want is a desire. Choosing is a decision. Amen. So there will be a corporate man-child who, when he is raptured, will then 
precipitate the end of the age. When the man child is raptured, the devil is cast down to the earth. From the earth, he'll go into the abyss. So it's not only one man child ruling with an iron rod. It is a corporate entity composed of the overcomers produced by the overcomer. The first fruits raptured live to Mount Zion to be presented to God for his satisfaction. They're all the reproduction of Christ as the seed sown into them. What makes them different is that they matured during their lifetime. That's why they're called first fruits. Then in chapter 17, the Lord is returning to deal with the enemy, but he's not alone. There are a company of overcomers with him who are called and chosen and faithful. Faithfulness is a very particular characteristic of overcomers, not power, faithfulness. The Lord told Smyrna, be faithful unto death. Paul, in addressing a complicated question in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, I give my opinion as one who has received the mercy from the Lord to be faithful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 that it's sought in stewards that they would be faithful. In Matthew 25, the servants that receive the reward because they gain profit with their talent are called faithful. We look to the Lord very much that we will be faithful to the end. Well, faithfulness is Christ himself. The overcomer is Christ himself. He is not looking at us, expecting and waiting for us somehow to transform ourselves into these victorious believers. That would be a product of self-effort, resulting in the expression of self. But when we can't do anything, and God as God and Christ as Christ does everything, then he receives all the praise, all the glory, and all the worship. So as I'm sharing this, I'm looking to the Lord inwardly, that he would cherish you and care for you all in a very particular way. On one level, that he would 
impart faith into you and you can just say, Lord, if you could work this out in Saul of Tarsus, I believe you can and will work this out in me. I mean you, not the one you think is a super brother. I mean you. That is the power of the pattern. Someone breathing out murder is fully gained by the Lord as a pattern of what the Lord is able to do in an open vessel. So it's so simple on our part. We just say, Lord, I believe this and I ask you to do this. Then if you can add, but you start where you are, but eventually you will add, do this in me for the body and for the bride. The same thing now with overcomers. I say again and again, they don't, we don't just become this. Like we're, we're tough guys that are not in the army in a common way. We're chosen for the special forces. We're the Navy SEALs in God's economy. <laughs> the Lord's not interested in that kind of fleshly strength. His glory is to take people who can't possibly be it and cause them to be it. They can't possibly do it so he enables them to do what they can't do. The Lord only asks us to do what we can't do. Like be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But you're going to say, yeah, I agree. Look, I consecrate to be perfect. Come on. So what is impossible with us is possible with God. I love to say this. He's very, very good at what he does. At saving us, at shepherding us, at reproducing himself in us. But it really helps if we complete the cycle as King David did in 2 Samuel 7. When he wanted to build a house and the word from God came, no, I will build you a house and your seed will be my son. He will build a house. I will establish his kingdom. After David heard that, he sat down before the Lord. He prayed back to the Lord what the Lord spoke and then said, Lord, do as you have spoken. Brothers and sisters, this is very effective. If we only have a kind of Passive or semi-passive agreement, that's better than rejecting. But it doesn't activate the Spirit's operation very much. 
But when you in simplicity respond and say, Lord, work out in me everything you spoke during this conference. Do it in all of us. Do it throughout Europe. Do it in all the churches. Save hundreds more and do it in all of them. The Lord is waiting for that affirmation in our prayer. We're not promising to be better. We can't. We're not promising to be it. We can't. We're not promising to do it. We can't. We're asking the Lord to do what he's well able to do in his ministry in the stage of intensification for the sake of your body, the bride, the kingdom, the new Jerusalem, you're coming back in glory. Produce me as an overcomer. And then what should you do after that? Outwardly, you just live as normal a human life as you can. Inwardly, just be a crazy lover of Jesus. Eat, drink, and breathe. Receive the divine dispensing little by little, day by day. And just let the Lord do it. I mentioned that we need to have an enlarged understanding of what it is to be an overcomer. In six of the seven epistles to the seven churches, the Lord calls for the overcomers to be victorious over negative things. In Ephesus, forsaking the first love. In Smyrna, be faithful unto death. Be victorious over the persecution. In Pergamos, overcome the mixture, the union of the church with the world. In Thyatira, to overcome the depths of Satan, the satanic philosophy, the apostate church. In Sardis, to overcome deadness and lack of completion. In Laodicea, to overcome lukewarmness. Yet, even to the church in Philadelphia, the Lord calls for overcomers. Have you ever wondered, why does he ask for overcomers in Philadelphia? That's the recovered church. He has... Nothing critical to say. You have a little power. That is fine. You've done the best with that. You've kept my word. You do not deny my name. You love the brothers. Yet still the Lord is calling for overcomers. In the recovered church. 
Let's remember, as Brother Lee helped us see in 1994, the local churches are God's procedure. The reality of the body of Christ, which will lead to the bride, I add, is the goal. So even Philadelphia, the church in recovery that we aspire to be and believe the Lord will make us to be, is not an end in itself. Finally, the Lord has a situation in a local church where certain ones there Although they don't have to overcome negative things, they will be very exercised to consummate God's economy. And listen to what he says to those who overcome. Revelation 3, 12. He who overcomes... Him I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Well, what's the temple of his God? The whole new Jerusalem is the holy of holies. God himself is the temple. The overcomer as a very stable supporting pillar is now built into the, new, the structure of the new Jerusalem. There's a direct connection now between Philadelphia and the new Jerusalem. And he shall by no means go out anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God, indicating that what God is, is wrought into this overcomer. The overcomer in Philadelphia has become God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. Then the Lord continues, and the name of the city of my God, New Jerusalem. This overcomer in Philadelphia in the church life, has become the new Jerusalem. All that the new Jerusalem is has been wrought into this one. Because even in that church, the believers are not simply enjoying brotherly love, honoring the Lord's name, keeping his word some among them, they're very clear what this is unto. The Lord recovered us so that with us, he can consummate his economy. For the name of the new Jerusalem to be written on the overcomer surely indicates that overcomer has become the new Jerusalem in the church life. And here I'd like to point out. According to Revelation. 
And we'll see this at the end of the message. What is the primary designation of the new Jerusalem in Revelation? The wife, the bride of the Lamb. I didn't see this two weeks ago, but it's fresh this morning. To become the new Jerusalem is the bride, the wife of the Lamb, is to become part of this bride right now and right here. That is why the Lord can say to Philadelphia, I come quickly. To Sardis, he said, I come as a thief. To Philadelphia, I come quickly. And we know from other scriptures, he will come as the bridegroom because finally he has the joy set before him in initial realization. And then he writes, then he says, I write the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends out of heaven from my God and my new name. When John saw the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, he says she was adorned as a bride for her husband. The angel said to John, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Isn't it clear? Everything is moving in this direction. And we do need to overcome any influence of degraded Christianity that may try to infiltrate the church. We will thoroughly overcome any kind of hierarchy, any kind of clergy laity system, any mixture with the world, any loss of the first love, any fear of what we will suffer. Any being alive in name only. Any lack of completion. And especially any lukewarmness. But on the positive side. Under the clear vision. Lord thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For the opportunity. To be in a church. Where we can consummate. Your heart's desire. And bring you back. Because. Although the overcomers in Philadelphia. Have no negative things in Philadelphia to overcome. They now have to overcome positively. By carrying out everything. That's according to God's will and the desire of his heart and his eternal purpose concerning the church. And now they're clear because the high peak of the divine revelation is right here in Revelation 3.12. To have the name of God written on us is a designation that we have become God in all the attributes that can be imparted to us. 
and the Lord's new name written on us, indicating we have become Christ in reproduction. Then the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, written on us, indicating intrinsically, as we're living our church life practically, we have been becoming the reproduction of Christ for the corporate expression of the triune God, which corporate expression is ultimately the new Jerusalem. And I love to repeat this. Now I can emphasize it with boldness because it's the truth in the word. The new Jerusalem is the bride. To become the new Jerusalem is to become the bride. And in the concluding word, we'll see the characteristics of the bride so that we have something solid to grasp and to pray for. So I hope the Lord in you, the shepherd of your soul, will comfort you and encourage you and save your mind and heart from every kind of unbelief. And you just simply pray, do in me what you did in John. Do in me what you did in Paul. Produce me as an overcomer for the bride. Now I go through the outline with you. And it will help us see some particular aspects of becoming the reproduction of Christ. The book of Revelation unveils the testimony of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ is Christ himself. And the testimony of Jesus Christ refers to the church. And this church is the enlargement of Christ, his corporate expression. Christ is the witness of God, the testimony and expression of God. And the church is the testimony and expression of Christ. For all, all these corporate entities, the man-child, the first fruits, the bride, the army, the new Jerusalem, there are all aspects of the church as the testimony, the corporate expression of Christ, who is the embodiment and expression of God. So the church is the reproduction of the testimony and expression of God in Christ. The Lord stood before Pilate as recorded in the Gospel of John and said, but wonderful words, for this I was born and for this I have come into the world that I might testify concerning the truth. The Lord was a living testimony of the divine reality, which, also in John, he said that he was. I am the reality. 
Now this Christ, who is the testimony of God as the divine reality, is now reproduced in us. So corporately, we are the testimony of Jesus, the corporate expression of Christ, who testifies of the divine reality. So Christ himself is the revelation. It is the church as the enlargement of Christ and the reproduction of Christ that is the testimony. See, witness refers to the person. Testimony refers to what the person bears, to his work and doing. The witness is Christ himself. The testimony is the church. The Lord Jesus was God's faithful witness. There's the word faithful again. Elsewhere he's called faithful and true. The faithful witness who testified God to produce the church which is his testimony. Jesus was the witness and what came out of him was the church as his testimony. So the way people can see the expression of Christ today is through the church as the testimony of Jesus this is the church being the corporate expression of the triune God based upon her becoming the reproduction of Christ. I would insert here as a gentle but firm reminder in actuality expressing God depends very much on our soul. The soul is the organ of expression. According to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Glory is God expressed. The indicator of the transformation of our soul is that increasingly Christ is expressed through our soul rather than the self being expressed through our soul. And this is a process. It's encouraging from glory to glory. So we should realize that when we pray to become the reproduction of Christ for his corporate expression, we are indicating to the Lord that we're giving him a free way to work on our soul. Otherwise, the Lord in our spirit will have no way to be expressed through us. Our expression will remain that of the natural person typical of our nationality and culture. 
So the corporate expression based upon the increase of Christ is the expression of the Christ who is reproducing himself by spreading throughout our soul. Then that corporate expression of this Christ through our soul is the testimony of Jesus. E, the testimony of Jesus is the enlarged Christ. The living person of Christ is the expression and testimony of God. The church is the testimony of Jesus, the corporate expression of Christ. <clears throat> so this is what is going on in all of us personally. And we have the same goal that is the body of Christ, the bride, as the corporate expression of Christ, the way to that is for Christ to be reproduced in us because he is the effulgence of God's glory. He is the image of God. The more he's reproduced in us and is able to shine out through our soul, the more we corporately are his expression. This corporate expression throughout Europe is the testimony of Jesus in this dark continent. In simple terms, when you see us, you see Jesus. Referring to Paul again as a pattern, there's just a classic note in Acts 28, at the very beginning, concerning Paul, how he was on the boat, how he was during the shipwreck, how he was cold and drenched, picking up sticks and dealing with serpents on the island. Then Brother Lee's note, written under heavenly light, was that was Jesus living again in one of his members. Okay. This is not, this is normal. I fully expect throughout Europe there'll be persons that will be Jesus living again. That is the testimony. Our destiny, our destiny as believers is that we would express the triune God in a corporate way as the testimony of Jesus. So I hope here we can see corporate expression based upon reproduction. Then with the golden lampstand, we have a specific instance of this. The intrinsic significance of the golden lampstand as the testimony of Jesus is the highest peak of the divine revelation. See, in typology, in Exodus, the golden lampstand 
signifies Christ. Then later, it signifies the Spirit. And in Revelation, it signifies the churches. So, Brother Lee uses the expression in one of his books, the church is the reprint of the Spirit. And the church is a golden lampstand, as the subpoints will make clear, is the corporate expression of God in Christ. And ultimately, the new Jerusalem will be the universal, eternal, golden lampstand. You study the details. The city is actually a mountain. The whole city is pure gold. At the top of the city is the throne. And on the throne, God as the light is in the lamb as the lamp. That's a golden lampstand. In the new heaven and the new earth, the universal golden lampstand, the consummation of all the local churches as golden lampstands. The golden lampstand signifies the triune God. The pure gold substance signifies God the Father in his divine nature. The stand signifies God the Son as the embodiment of God the Father. The lamps signify God the Spirit as the seven spirits of God for the expression of the Father in the Son. The golden lampstands signify the local churches as the reproduction of Christ and the reprint of the Spirit. That is why increasingly what people should encounter when they come into our midst is light. And I refer to that message given so well by our brother James Lee in the last crystallization study of Exodus on lighting the lamps in the meeting. We should have this as a goal. The meeting should be full of light. The more we prophesy according to the God-ordained way, the more the secrets of the hearts of the new ones will be revealed to them and they will have to testify, God is among you. It's the light. We saw with Saul of Tarsus, one may argue against truth stated objectively, but who can argue with a light brighter than the sun. When the Lord comes for the overcomers, he will be the morning star. But when he comes openly to the whole earth, he will be the sun of righteousness, and there will be no more atheists. To be an atheist, you're going to have to deny the shining of the sun of righteousness. And no one in his right mind will be able to do that. This is, this light is the nature of God's expression. We are becoming light in the Lord. And this light is shining out corporately. You know, the Lord said of himself in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. 
In Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. So please tell me, who is the light of the world? Is it Christ or is it the believers as the church? And the answer is yes. It's another instance of reproduction. Christ is the light of the world. Now we are the light of the world. I am looking at the light of Europe. You are the light of Barcelona. Don't you want some to be the light of Munich? The light of Krakow? The light of all the major cities? You! You! And the lampstand there is shining forth. So the golden lampstand signify the local churches as the reproduction of Christ and the reprint of the Spirit. The lampstand in Exodus 25 signifies Christ as the embodiment of God. The lampstand in Zechariah 4 signifies the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit as the reality of Christ. The lampstands in Revelation 1 are the reprint, the reproduction of this spirit Christ. The consummate lampstand is the new Jerusalem, a gold mountain as a stand with Christ as the lamp and God as the light within him. The new Jerusalem is the bride. The new Jerusalem is the golden lampstand. Doesn't this indicate that his bride is just radiant, full of light? She has to, she has to. He is the light of the world. She has to match him. So he makes her the same as he is in light. When you meet her, you meet not only love, but light shining and life flowing. D, the new Jerusalem, a mountain of gold, is the universal golden lampstand, holding the lamb as the lamp, shining out God as the light. God as the light is in the Lamb as the lamp, shining out from the top of the universal golden lampstand. On the top of the golden mountain is the throne as the center, and on the throne is Christ as the Lamb as the lamp, with God in him as the light, shining out through the city. So the light is in the lamp. Now the light is shining out through the lamp. The entire city is transparent. So this light shines out through the city in the new heaven and the new earth. And this shining city, I love to say, is the Lamb's wife. What a bright Lady, she will be. On the top of the golden mountain is the throne as the center. Okay, we did A. B, the golden mountain is a stand. And upon this stand is a lamp. Therefore, this golden mountain, the new Jerusalem, is a golden lampstand. 
The new Jerusalem, the aggregate of all the lampstands, the totality of today's lampstands is a consummate, universal, golden lampstand to shine forth God's glory in the new heaven and new earth for eternity. Now for a, a concluding word, which I've already done more than hint at. When someone is just full to overflowing with something positive, it's kind of hard not to give hints every now and then. But eventually the hints can become explicit. Although the New Jerusalem is the ultimate golden lampstand, it's the kingdom of God, the particular designation is that she's the bride. This is what's on the Lord's heart. And in Revelation 19, after the evil woman Babylon the Great has been dealt with. Listen to this kind of explanation, starting at verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all his slaves and those who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty thunders, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Then immediately, let us rejoice and exalt, and let us give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife, has made herself ready. And it was given to her that she should be clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. And he said to me, write, blessed are they who are called to the marriage dinner of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true words of God. We know, according to what is revealed in Revelation and what has been opened up for our understanding by the ministry, that the new Jerusalem will be manifested in two stages. The overcomers in Philadelphia, with all the other overcomers, they will be the new Jerusalem during the age of the kingdom. There will actually be this corporate expression of the triune God. Sadly, the vast majority of believers who did not know the truth did not know God's will or did not do according to God's will, 
They will not lose their salvation, but they will spend the coming age being matured and perfected. Then at the end of the kingdom age, when finally there's the ultimate judgment at the great white throne and there's a new heaven and a new earth, all the believers from all the ages will be matured and perfected. And then all the believers matured and perfected will be the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. In both stages, the new Jerusalem is the bride, the wife. So we have this option. We may experience Christ in the church life throughout the course of our life as believers in such a way that we have the name of the new Jerusalem written upon us, the name of God, the name of the Lord's new name. We have actually been becoming the bride by becoming the reality of the body of Christ, which issues in the bride. So then we may watch for the Lord as the morning star, and he will come secretly for us as the bridegroom, and we will be invited to the wedding dinner as the bride, and the wedding feast will begin. Or, for whatever reason, we may finish our course without having become adequately the reproduction of Christ for his corporate expression. But since we were chosen to be holy, and the, the New Jerusalem is the holy city, and since we are predestinated unto sonship and the New Jerusalem is the totality of the sonship. We will become that city, that bride, that wife. We will. That is our eternal destiny. But don't we long for two reasons, two valid reasons. Don't we long to want to be included in this wife who has made herself ready now. And the two reasons are, and both are valid, we personally surely want to be there. I don't want to be somewhere else. I want to be there. But the deeper reason is, Lord, we want the desire of your heart at last to be fulfilled. We want to enter into your joy, your delight, your supreme happiness. We want to be there when you finally are experiencing the joy set before you when you hung on the cross and gave yourself up not only for sinners, but for her, for the church. 
So this bride in Revelation 19, and a recent conference was devoted to this in Boston, has certain characteristics, all of which are developed now, little by little, day by day. She is mature. She must match her bridegroom in stature, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. She is truly built up. She has become buildable and actually built in. Her being is corporate, although every part is still personal. She is beautiful. You read Song of Songs. This word beauty, or the word beautiful is there. The Lord will beautify us, not by cosmetic surgery, but by working his beauty into us and making us his beautiful counterpart. She will need to be a warrior with an A, not an O. A warrior, not a worrier. <laughs> but attention is given here specifically to her wedding garment. She should be clothed in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. What's this? When the prodigal son repented and came home hungry, the father placed on him the best robe, signifying Christ as objective righteousness, so that a believer covered with Christ can have fellowship with God. But if we are to be in the wedding feast, as the parable in Matthew 22 makes clear, we need another garment to wear before Christ. And that is the fine linen, bright and pure, called righteousnesses. What's this? We know from 2 Corinthians that the new covenant ministry is called the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of the Spirit ministers into us Christ as the life-giving Spirit. When we allow Christ as the life-giving Spirit in our spirit to be expressed through our soul in concrete actions of living and service, that is righteousnesses. That is the wedding garment. The wedding garment is the expression of the lived out Christ. In one of the eightfold definitions of what it means to love the Lord, one of them, I think the seventh was to live him, to live him. To live him is to express him. And that expression is the wedding garment that we are all stitching now. There's a verse in Hebrews where the writer says, God is not unrighteous to forget all of your acts of service. 
you may forget every time you ushered, every time you served with the children, so many practical things, thousands of items. Every time you do that in the mingled spirit, you're stitching your wedding garment. And you will just be clothed in righteousnesses. And that will be part of your beauty. So as we are becoming the reproduction of Christ, these five things are taking place in us gradually in the church life. We are maturing through the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are being built up to be the corporate Christ. We are becoming beautified as the expression of the beauty of Christ. We're learning to fight because the Lord needs a warrior wife. And we're preparing our wedding garment. So we have this blessed opportunity to fulfill the desire in our heart and the desire in the Lord's heart. Just don't panic. Don't live in the future. Treasure every day. Every day, give that day to the Lord. Every day, open to the Lord. And just let him do whatever is in his heart concerning you right here and right now. And you offer these little prayers. Lord, show me how to prepare my wedding garment. Lord, grow in me to maturity long before I finish my course. Lord, make me buildable. Make me part of the corporate Christ. Lord, beautify me for your good pleasure. Lord, train me to pray the prayers of warfare in the coordination of the body. Then other mentions of the wife, the bride... Or in Revelation 21, reinforcing this fact that this is how the love story ends. 21.2. He showed me a new heaven and a new earth. The holy city descending from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Then later in the same chapter, the angel says, come here. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And what does he see? The first attribute, having the glory of God. She's the expression of God. Isn't it clear that the desire of God's heart is to have a wife, a counterpart to match him? This is the will for which everything was created according to Revelation 4.11, the favorite verse of somebody. The goal of God's economy, the issue of his salvation, it's all for this. So, because the Lord loved us, Let's just love him more and more every day of our life. And by loving him, increasingly enter into the desire of his heart. Then we simply pray. 
Please give me the experiences that I need to be part of the fulfillment of your heart's desire that you may have the wife, the bride for which you died. Lord, I live to you for this. Everything related to my human life, I consecrate to you for this. I seek you for this. Make me a reproduction. Make me an overcomer so that you, finally, the bridegroom, may come because the bride has made herself ready. Okay, I'm at peace. The burden is released. Allow me to say this. I love the Lord. And I love you all. That's the only reason that I come to be with you. First love. First works. That we may love the, our bridegroom. And be ready to meet him. So please pray with someone nearby and the brothers will lead us concerning the remaining time.